you have to take that chance. It's easier said than done to actually take that chance of, you know, potentially failing or, as I said, I made mistakes in the languages and I put it on clothing, which is really, which is really like, holy smokes. And, and you know what? It's a learning curve. Welcome to Here's How It's Done, brought to you by the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba, the go-to place for women looking to start or expand their businesses. I'm your host, Kate Friesen. This podcast brings you real-life stories from enterprising women who have taken the chance, made the leap knowing there might be failure, and riding some pretty big learning curves along the way. If you have a side hustle or you are considering one, this show is especially for you. A side hustle. Mostly when I hear that term, it's about someone who has a 9 to 5 job and starts an enterprise in their spare time, with the aim of making the leap to full-time business. But there are a lot of other reasons that people start a side hustle. It could be to test out a business idea to see whether it has legs. Maybe it's to make some extra money. It could start as a passion project to fill a gap that you see that no one else is filling. To produce something that you want to buy, but no one is selling. For me, it was something that I wanted to be seen in, and I wanted it to be seen. And that's how it all got started for the junior high school teacher that's my guest today. Ojar Skobanesi Ekwe Indijinakaz, Kim Blackbird Moore Indijinakaz. Selkirk and Dunjiba, Manadibo with the Gong and Dunjiba. My name is uh, Blue Thunderbird Woman. Uh, my English name is Kim Blackbird Moore. I live in Selkirk, but I'm actually from Manadibo with the Gong, First Nation in Ontario, which is um, Manitou Rapids, and uh, my clan is Bear. So we typically introduce ourselves with those three protocol in uh, the language. So my business is Makade uh, Mikase, clothing and apparel, Black Eagle, clothing and apparel. Because your business is very much based on language mm-hmm. in so many ways, mm-hmm. tell me what your relationship with your mother tongue is. Like, did you grow up speaking it? My relationship with my mother tongue was pretty much non-existent. Uh, my first language is English. My father is Ojibwe and Lakota. And my mother is uh, English and uh, Scottish. And so I ended up um, not having that as my first language. And then when I left the area that I grew up in, uh, I decided to go to University of Winnipeg and I, I started visiting the cultural center there for the First Nation students. And that's kind of where I really discovered that I was missing a huge piece of my culture because I hadn't grown up in it. And so I decided to start learning the language just in little snippets, really. And there wasn't a lot being offered at that time. That was 25 to 30 years ago. I ended up just having that as like like a pipe dream of mine. Something that I really wanted to eventually do was to learn the language, to learn uh, Anishinaabe Moen or Ojibwe. So I ended up having four children and I got busy. So I didn't have the opportunity to learn the language 
On top of being a mom of four, Kim is a teacher, right? So yeah, she was already pretty busy when a conversation with her daughter two years ago sparked a business idea. I was thinking about the clothing that has Mama Bear on it. And I think that kind of comes from me being from the Bear Clan, because I always thought those were, you know, special, having a Mama Bear shirt. And I said something to my daughter, who at the time would have been um, 11 years old. She said, you should really get a Mama Bear hoodie done up, but in Ojibwe. And then I said, that's a great idea. And she goes, yes, and get me a, a baby bear one. So my daughter and I did some looking up and researching, and that's how we found out about the mama bear and the, the mama maqua and the makuntz idea. Mm. For me, it was something that I wanted to be seen in, and to, I wanted it to be seen. So some people might have had this conversation with their daughter and, you know, and some people might have just gotten one done for themselves and their daughter, but you went a lot further than that. You made it into what, what I would call a side hustle or a side business. Right. You had a website, you're selling product, you're designing new things. What was it that made you take it that step further and not just do a mother daughter shirts, but offer it up more widely? Yeah. Um, you know what? It was around this time in 2019 and I said to my husband, we're going to sell these. And I told him how many I bought it. I think it was like about thirteen or $1,400 worth. And his, his eyes just about popped out of his head. And he said, you what? And I told him, trust me, like, trust me on this. I feel like this is going to be something. I just felt that. And I said, and if it isn't, well, I guess we'll have lots of Mama Mekwa hoodies to give to our friends and family. <laughs> like we sold all those. My dad actually sold a, a lot of different product for me up in Garden Hill First mm. Nation. But you basically did a product test. You bought this set of hoodies, you sold them out. You went, okay, so there's a taste for this. When did you feel like, oh, this, I could actually expand this. This is a business. Once I had sold all the, the hoodies that I'd first ordered... I just got more and I just, just went from there and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do Papa Bear. Actually, it's interesting because again, there's that language journey, right? And I've made mistakes and I was like, okay, this is what Papa Bear is. It was incorrect. Thankfully, it wasn't anything inappropriate, but it was incorrect. And so now I know better, but I have failed. And nobody gave me a hard time about it. So that's good. Everybody was always kind about my language failures. <laughs> But I wasn't, I mean, I was probably not very kind to myself about it. Despite those early mistakes, and maybe because of people's kindness, Kim kept going. I didn't start online right away. Powell's and, and my dad. My dad sold a lot of stuff for me. Up, Your major distributor. He was pretty much, he was. <laughs> so when I first started out, I was super energetic and wanted to do it in every language in Manitoba. There's seven languages in Manitoba. And um, seven and indigenous, seven language. indigenous yeah. languages in Manitoba. But I ended up uh, realizing that was just way too huge. I had to think about it and, and kind of scale it back. So it started out as, um, you know, really just wanting languages on clothing. So it turned into, we have the Ogichida, which is the, uh, the warrior. Uh, and then the Ogichida Kwe, which is the uh, female warrior uh, or warrior woman. 
and um, some Machif French, some Machif Cree. But I've really started to feel like the novelty was starting to wear off because I was seeing more and more people that are doing uh, clothing in syllabics now and clothing in their uh, language. So Cree, Dene, Mohawk, there's all different kinds of language languages that are being shown on clothing now. And if you aren't an artist, it's really difficult to make a profit from a piece of clothing that you're paying somebody to do, plus you need to pay your art for your artwork as well. And it has to be very eye-catching. And so that I started to struggle with a little. What's the part you enjoy the most? Seeing them or people telling me they saw them. My cousin um, messaged me one day and said, oh, I got into the elevator one day and this lady was wearing your hoodie, the Mama Mekwan. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. So that part warms my heart because then people now know, and I think most people now know what Mekwa actually means. And Mm. not saying it came from me, but I think that now that there's that exposure and the language is being seen, that it definitely... Uh, it's definitely something that is now more common. Hmm. I think it's still a really niche market, which I sometimes struggle with because not everybody knows the language or is sure about wearing the language. Hmm. So that's a challenge. That yeah. is a, it can be challenging. Kim hit another big challenge when her business was still pretty new. One we all know about, the pandemic. And around that time, she sat down to do some problem solving with a fellow business owner, Chris Mellon of Selkirk's 204 Skate Shop. So there isn't any powwows to sell them at. There isn't any markets to sell them at. There's products sitting in my garage not moving. And I had explained to him that, you know, what should I do? And he said, you know, why don't you get someone to teach the language and then just give away your clothing? And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. And then I thought... I thought about it and I'm thinking, I need to learn the language. This is really my moment and my calling to learn the language myself, not to, you know, commission that out to somebody else to do, then I'd have to pay them or find them work and, and I'm just standing on the sidelines doing what, right? Kim didn't just have an aha moment about standing on the sidelines of her own business. She acted on it. And in the process, that pipe dream she had 30 years ago started to become a reality. I actually went on a sabbatical from my full-time job and I went to Red River College. I actually did it through the Zoom Zoom meetings. I learned a lot. I got my um, Anishinaabe Moen language certificate and I met a lot of um, people. I met some fluent speakers and so we've kept in touch and It's really changed my perspective, like I was talking about earlier, is going from the language being on clothing to now I really just want to teach the language. Mm, Now I want to do workshops. And, And I do struggle with teaching the workshops and charging to teach the workshops because that's a colonial concept. But I also, I earned the language certificate, and I paid for the mm-hmm. language certificate. So I, I know now universities and colleges are charging us to learn our own language. Right. And yeah. so that's a struggle, right? Because now we're having to pay 
for a language that was lost. And the language was lost because my grandfather spent six years in residential school near Kenora. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all these things that you you kind of grapple with while you're doing a business like that, that I would say most business owners probably don't have to worry about, Mm. especially if it's English. Well, if it's English, then you don't have to worry about, you know, is someone going to judge me for this? And that's a huge deal for me is am I being, am I being judged for, first of all, putting the language on clothing or, or am I being judged for teaching the language and charging to mm. te- to, for someone to learn the actual language? But then the other thing is like, I can't worry about that so much. I wish it didn't have to be that way, but we're losing our languages. Mm-hmm. So that was for me the most important piece was how can we see the language more frequently? And I would love to see the language uh, on signs and in, you know, and when I see the language, I, I love that. It really, it, it takes me back to, you know, the, the culture. It takes me back to when I would hear my grandfather actually speak the language, which was really infrequently. Uh, but um, yeah, and it's, it's exciting when I'm teaching the language in a classroom mm. and students are learning it or they remember a word. I'm like, hey, you remember that word? Yeah. Or I'll ask them, well, do you know what this word is in French? And, you know, might be related to, let's just say it's related to the weather. And then I'll ask them, well, what is that word in Ojibwe? And someone will know. It's really cool to to watch that progression in, in children. Where does the board game fit into this? And was that a, a bolt of lightning or? <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a presentation for my Ojibwe language class um, in front of a group of Red River College people uh, so like-minded people. Uh, at the end of my presentation, I said, well, this is what I would also want to do is a board game. So this board game would have an Indigenous focus. I ended up getting a message on my phone from one of my peers saying, let's do this. Like, I want to actually market this board game you're talking about. I, I kind of said, really, at first, because it seemed not that attainable to me. I thought, okay, well, this could possibly work. But the actual goal of my board game is to, again, instill pride in Indigenous people, but also to teach non-Indigenous people a little bit about the culture because there's trivia cards in it. There's there's different pieces in the game that are geared towards Indigenous languages, all seven of them in Manitoba. And um, there's also pieces of trivia that are related to the the different cultures of Indigenous people in Manitoba. And some of it is historical. And I also wanted it to be an educational tool for schools because I am an educator. I thought, well, that would be pretty cool because I want one for my classroom. (laughs) I want one for my classroom. So we've actually gotten to the point now where it's pretty well finished and ready. We have a um, we have a prototype. Unfortunately, we had to get them made in Wisconsin because there really isn't anybody producing board games in Canada unless you want to buy 2,000 at one time. 
which is an exorbitant amount of money when you think about that. So I was like, mm, you know what? I, I don't think I want to put that much money into it. Like I'd like to start small, like I'll, you know, just order a few to begin with. It's been tested a few times. So I've had my educator friends who've tested them in, uh, in the classroom and it's actually gone over really well. So I'm excited. If I sold 25 games and put smiles on all the faces of the children or the adults that are playing it, then that's fabulous. Or if someone who didn't know certain trivia that's on it and they learned something, that that to me is a bit, that's, that's actually more important to me. I'm more concerned about who I can reach. Who, what potential does it have to reach different people from different walks of life? Um, will I decide to do another board game? Possibly, because I really think that it could turn into something more. There's a few board games that are geared towards Indigenous focus, but not very many. So um, that's kind of where I think I'm going. I think I'm headed in the direction of, and I do fly by the seat of my pants. I think it's just like, I always say that, and I use the term Wendigo, and I don't know if I should, but I really feel that, you know, like I really feel like I do stuff that is slightly backwards and, and it kind of has worked out for me Mm -hmm. in life. What advice would you give for another woman who might want to start a business on the side? That's a passion business, really, driven by really strong values, and it's very woven in with who you are. What advice would you give somebody who might want to start a business like that? Well, I think the main thing is to think about who your target audience is going to be and um, do some research and and connect with other like-minded people a little bit. Now, thinking back, I wish I had connected with my language instructor before I decided to do, like I knew him prior to me taking the language course at Red River College. So I wish I had touched base with more people who I potentially could have trusted. But I also think too that, you know, those issues with trust come with not having grown up with trust and carrying through your adult life with a lack of trust in yourself sometimes or other people. How can you build that trust? Because in business, there's a lot of trust in the relationships and in yourself for putting yourself out there. I think you just, you have to take that chance. Hmm. And that's not always easy. It's easier said than done to actually take that chance of, you know, potentially failing or, or as I said, I made mistakes in the languages um, and I put it on clothing, which is really, which is really like, holy smokes. And, and you know what, it's a learning curve and I'm not, I'm laughing about it, but I also take pride in what I did. You know, I tried to, like, I tried not to be competitive with other people in terms of the business. So I wanted to connect with people. So for example, in my board game, I've connected with some people through that. And I, and every single one of those businesses in my board game are women entrepreneurs. Hmm. Can you list two or three of them? Kukum Soul Beating from Selkirk is one of them. 
she's a, a good friend of mine. And uh, when I asked her, she was super excited. And Resigal Lashes is another one. And uh, also Feast Bistro from Winnipeg. Beautiful. Yeah. So one more question, and then I know that we both have to go. Okay. A moment that you went, yes, this is exactly what I should be doing. One of my best times for me was at uh, the National Indigenous Day down at the Forks. And there were a lot of people coming to talk to me. And I had a really amazing day that day. You know, people who wanted to buy my product. That was a moment where I felt really proud to be Indigenous, like really proud to be First Nation, really proud to be doing what I'm doing. Uh, But also at the back of my mind, knowing that I want to further this and really do something deeper and learn the language because that was prior to actually learning the language. So that was a real yes moment for me where I knew that people want to support Indigenous entrepreneurs. And it's part of reconciliation for a lot of people because a lot of people that came to me that day were non-Indigenous and made purchases. That for me was probably my moment where I really realized that I'm going to keep on going with this, but just maybe in different ways throughout my lifetime. Thank you so much, Kim, for taking the time to come and talk to me. Okay. Gigawabamin Minowa. See you in a while. We don't say goodbye. We say gigawabamin. That's Kim Blackbird-Moore, the owner of Makade Mikade Clothing. You can check out blackeagleclothing.ca to find out more about Kim's clothing line and the language classes she's offering. From there, you can follow the links to Instagram to see some great pictures of the Indigenous board game that's in development. And if this podcast got you interested in starting a business on the side or as a full-time endeavour, head over to wecm.ca to find out more about the Women's Enterprise Centre's business plan course and a lot of other ways that the staff can help you succeed. You can also find more information about this podcast there, including resources, show notes, and transcripts. You can subscribe to Here's How It's Done through your favorite podcast app. And while you are subscribing, I highly recommend checking out the episode featuring Brandy Woodhouse of Resgel Inc. It's called Eye Catching Lashes in a Big Vision. Oh, and there's our inaugural episode featuring Candace Lippischak, owner of Fat Dog. You can find both of those in season one. And I mention them because Kim is featuring those businesses in her new Indigenous board game. That's all for this edition of Here's How It's Done. Theme music is by Peter McIsaac. Additional music written and recorded by Charlotte Friesen. This episode was mastered by Madeline Roger and produced by me. Until next time, I'm Kate Friesen. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.